This is One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of One on One. I'm John Furlong with you until we pass it over to Matt Murphy for Fortnite Men's Basketball versus Richmond at 2.30. Before I go any further, it would be an absolute crime to not introduce my co-host for today, David <laughs> Spampanato. How are you, bud? I'm great. I love when we get these uh, little niche episodes no, absolutely. and change it up a little bit. It's awesome. Yeah, you were, you were, we were talking about it before the show. You were on for the uh, concussion episode that yeah. we had a few, uh, few months ago, yeah, right? Yeah, a month, a, few, or, ago, yeah, a month yeah. or two ago, yeah. And that was a real, uh, a real hit. But as you mentioned, we got a little niche episode today. We're going to discuss everything New York and national sports like we always do later in the show. But as it is Black History Month and the 70th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's first game breaking the color barrier, we're going to dedicate the first hour of today's show to discussing Jackie Robinson. And to start off the show, here's the opening from our award-winning special, Jackie Robinson, the man behind the ball player, originally broadcast on April 12th, 1997. It's an ode to Jackie Robinson. Jackie, do they know? Do they know what you did, Jackie Robinson, when you broke that color line? Do they know the worlds that you open when the Dodgers ask you to sign? Do they know the humiliation that you suffered through the years or how it felt to stomach the threats and constant racial jeers? Do they know the competitive passion with which you played the game or the host of insults you endured when they defiled your name? Do they know that you rose above it with majestic winning style escorting a perennial bridesmaid down the coveted championship aisle? Do they know you were a black Moses with a soul of raging fire, a man who firmly stood his ground with undiminished desire? Do they know that you had all the tools, talent, smarts, and skill, well blended with civility, plus an unshakable ironclad will? Do they know that when you left the game, no grass grew under your feet, you continued pioneering using the executive suite. Do they know with respect and reverence we document your deeds, careful to water and nourish your bountiful, well-sown seeds? Do they know that in the Hall of Fame you regally reside, having scaled the heights of the grand old game and humanity with pride? Do they know that you left us early, age 53 when you passed, but in that great half century, what a legacy you amassed. Gooding will play and sing the national anthem.
Hodges at first base. Jackie Robinson at second. Captain Pee Wee Reese at short. Jackie Robinson, who is hitting so far with six hits for 11 at bat at 544, the defending batting champion. Robinson up. Over two today. Sensitive, intelligent, fiery, fierce competitor. April 15th, 1947. Opening day of the baseball season. Not much different than any other opening day in Brooklyn, USA. The sound of bat hitting ball was in the air. Hope was springing eternal in the hearts of the Flatbush faithful. This was the year the beloved bums would do it. This was going to be next year. No, it wasn't much different than any other opening day in Brooklyn, USA. It was very different. It was the start of a revolution. A revolution that has continued to this day. A revolution that is still going on. No, April 15th, 1947 wasn't much different. It wasn't even very different. What it was, was downright historic. One of the great days in American history. It was the day in the parlance of the times from 1947 to the present, that a Negro, a black American, an African American, Jack Roosevelt Robinson, stepped on a major league ball field for the first time during an official major league baseball season and forever changed the landscape of our national pastime, American sports, and the United States of America. WFUV Sports presents Jackie Robinson, the man behind the ball player. A look at Jackie the athlete, Jackie the man, and Jackie the historical figure through the words and thoughts of those who knew him, played with him, worked with him, and chronicled his exploits. We'll also hear from those who didn't know him, but who owe a debt to Jackie for what he did and what he means to them. We'll talk to Brooklyn Dodger fans who lived through that golden era from 1947 to 1956 when the fabled Boys of Summer led by Jackie, Campy, Gill, Pee-wee, and the Duke, won six pennants and that elusive World Series championship. And except for two pitches, Cal Abrams being thrown at at home by Richie Ashburn in 1950, and Bobby Thompson shot hurt round the world in 1951, would have matched the Yankees pennant for pennant. And finally, we want to hear from you, the fan of today, with your perspective on Jackie Robinson, the man behind the ball player. Now, to start our program, a special message from President Bill Clinton. Jackie Robinson was a true American hero. As the first African American to break into Major League Baseball, Jackie dazzled sports fans with his remarkable athletic ability. With poise and grace and steely determination, Jackie pushed open a door that should never have been closed and held it open for the countless talented young men and women who would follow him. He taught us that divisions of race don't just keep us apart. They hold us all back. It is impossible to imagine baseball or America without Jackie Robinson. A half century since he was named Rookie of the Year, his courage, determination, and integrity continue to inspire us all. Yeah, there you go. That was uh, Jackie Robinson, or excuse me, the opening to the WFUV special. Jackie Robinson, the man behind the ball player, originally broadcast on April 12th, 1997. You heard an original poem from Tommy Hawkins, who was a former star for the Lakers. The uh, Ebbetsfield PA announcer, Tex Rick- Tex Rickard, 
I think I pronounced that name right. The organ playing of Gladys Gooding and the voices of Red Barber, Connie Desmond, and Vin Scully. And you also heard Matt Arruda, former member of the station, who said a few words before handing it off to former President Bill Clinton, who recorded a message specifically for us at WFUV back Crazy. in 1997. What did you think about that, David? Um, I like the way President Clinton summed it up because no, it was it was a barrier that should have never existed and was broken down. And then when you look in in not just baseball but all sports today, African American players continue to thrive because we wouldn't have guys like Ken Griffey Jr. or oh, Willie yeah. Mays, even now McCutcheon, David Price, Marcus Stroman, if it wasn't for Jackie Robinson. And not only we see a great baseball player, but an exceptional human being. No, absolutely. I think Bill Clinton said it best. He broke that door open and held it open for just yeah. about everybody else who's come after him. It's uh. We're going to send it over to our man Tyler Freer for the first time this afternoon. There was mental maze, DiMaggio and Mr. Robinson. Mental maze, Welcome back to One on One, everybody. And David, I don't think there's one man more qualified to talk about Jackie Robinson than the great Vin Scully. I mean, th- those two guys basically grew up together. I mean, Vin was just breaking into the industry when Jackie broke the color barrier in 1947. Vin wasn't in the booth just yet, but he was just about to break into it, just as Jackie broke into broke into baseball. But anyway, here's a timeless voice of Vin Scully with a great story on Jackie Robinson. Vin Scully. And his view of Jackie Robinson, of course, Vin, a Hall of Fame broadcaster. He came to the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1950 in his 48th year currently as the voice of the Dodgers, the longest run of any broadcaster in the history of the known universe. He was the TV voice of the World Series for NBC. You might remember his call during the 1986 Mets and the radio voice of the World Series for CBS. As I said, I conducted this interview, and Vin responded when I asked him about his impressions of Jackie. Well, I would think of sensitive, intelligent, fiery, fierce competitor. Next is Jackie, the ball player specifically. Well, specifically, all of those would apply. Uh, Sensitive to the crowd reaction. When I was traveling uh, with the Brooklyn Dodgers in my first year, 1950, we went from Vero Beach, Florida to Brooklyn by way of Texas and we barnstormed throughout the South. And Jackie was extremely sensitive, not just to the overflow crowds of black people who were out in the outfield standing room only, but he was particularly sensitive and incensed if he thought there were people using his appearance as a reason to drink too much or whatever. So he was not only playing, he was extremely conscious of his role, and he was sensitive to those who watched him. How about Jackie the man in terms of the way he carried himself and maybe the way he interacted with his family and with others? Well, I know that he was very much of a family man, and I was never that close to him. First of all, he was a superstar of the great magnitude that left me uh, uh, at his feet, so to speak. So it was not as if I, I hung out with Jack. But one personal thing that I do remember It was uh, the winter following, I believe, my first year. Maybe it was my second year, 50, 51, somewhere in there. And the Dodgers asked me to go up to Grossinger's in the Catskill Mountains and put on a a two-day seminar. And Jackie and his wife, Rachel, were going with me. And being a New York kid who had ice skated at uh, Van Cortlandt Park, etc., uh, I brought my ice skates, 
and they were racing skates with the long blade. And when Jackie saw them, he said, oh, you skate? And I said, yes, and et cetera. He said, I'll go skate with you. And Rachel, who was great with child at the time, said, I'll go too, which kind of made me a little uneasy. But the three of us went to the rink at Grossinger's, and it was run by a gold medalist from, I believe, the 1936 Olympics, Irving Jaffe, his name was. And uh, Irving was very gracious, and so now we were putting on our skates. And I'm watching Jackie, and, and he, he doesn't have any idea how to stand. He's actually standing on his ankles, if you've ever gone through that experience with uh, <laughs> ice skates. And uh, all of a sudden, he said to me, um, I'll race you. So I said, Jack, I didn't realize that uh, you ice skated. And he said, I've never been on skates in my life. And I said, well, gee, I said, I'm not a great skater, but I skated an awful lot growing up in New York. Um, there's just no way you can beat me. And he got very serious. And he said, no, but that's how I'm going to learn. And that was the fierce competitor rising to the surface. And it was an insight into the man. I had re uh, read a letter that he wrote to his wife, I think, when he was away with her, away from her, I should say. Not exactly sure the era or the exact moment that he wrote this letter, but... He was a very eloquent man, he seemed to be, in terms of the way he loved his wife, and he didn't have a darn problem saying how he felt about her in the letter. And it, I guess his wife allowed the, the letter to be published, and it was very romantic, and I don't know if he, if he seemed to be that kind of that guy, obviously not romantic in terms of how he felt about anyone that you might have known, but just the way he carried himself and the attitude he had. Well, I think perhaps uh, under that heading of sensitive and intelligent, uh, perhaps that would be the umbrella that would cover his private life with Rachel uh, about which I, I would not know a thing. But I do know that when they were together, uh, they were a loving couple, and as things turned out, a loving uh, set of parents. So I'm sure that Jack was a well-rounded individual, fiercely loyal, fierce to his own ideas and ideals, and uh, he was the perfect man uh, for a most difficult assignment. Also, Jackie, the historical figure, what does he mean to people today? Well, I'm not sure. I really am not sure. That's one of those questions. It's like asking me, what do you think people think about? Uh, I have no idea what people think, but I would assume that people realize that he was not only a great ball player and a Hall of Famer and a fine human being, but I think they realize that he made a tremendous contribution, not only to sports, but uh, to this entire country and the way we look at other people. Oh, sure, there's still a uh, division between the races. But nevertheless, uh, I think Jackie uh, did build the first bridge, and he should be considered, uh, and I don't mean this uh, as heresy, but he should be considered in the, in the black pantheon along with Martin Luther King. Jackie and Pee Wee. Well, Pee Wee was uh, born and raised in the South. He was the captain. Uh, the Dodgers have had many captains over the years, but uh, in Brooklyn there was only one captain, and that was Pee Wee. And Pee Wee had a tremendous effect on every player who came and wore a Dodger uniform. And he had a calming effect on Jackie. And then, of course, that was that day where he went over on the field and put his arm around Robinson. And this more or less told the world, hey, um, here's a young man raised in Kentucky, uh, raised with Southern uh, thoughts and habits and, and mores, 
and he is now accepting this black man as a teammate and a friend, and he's making a public gesture uh, to let everyone know that. And that was typical of Pee Wee. He, he was bigger than the team in some ways. They always looked to Pee Wee for counsel. They always looked to, looked to him uh, for that, that feeling of calmness you need in pennant races and pressure-packed situations. And Pee Wee was there for everyone, so it was only right and proper that he be there for Jackie. Also Jackie and Branch Rickey. Well, Branch Rickey has said many times, uh, I remember him saying it, that he was not trying to be a trailblazer. As he said, he was trying to, to win a pennant. And if he could find a man uh, who would help him win that pennant, uh, he, w- he would play him. And when he began to think, uh, as he referred to them in those days, as Negroes, and he said Negroes uh, are a tremendous untapped source of talent. So what he was saying was he wasn't so much trying to make a dramatic change in America. He was just trying to come up with some more good ball players, and he found the perfect one in Jackie. So what was it like to announce using Jackie Robinson as a reference point and things like that? Did you focus on the fact that he was the first black baseball player? Or did no, you just no, consider no. I'm, I'm sure that that had been done uh, three years earlier, but by this time uh, it was over with. I mean, right. he had teammates. He had Don Newcomb. He had mm-hmm. uh, Dan Bankhead, uh, Roy Campanella. No, no, no. He had, it, by the time I got there, he was just another player. He happened to be a different color, that's all. What kind of a ball player was he? I want to focus maybe on a little bit more of the actual player that he was on the field. What were some of his, his strengths and some of his weaknesses? The best thing to say about Jack, and I've said this uh, before, and that would be he's one of the rare people I have ever met who actually was better at what he did when he was angry. Almost all of us are diminished in our skills uh, when we get angry. But uh, Jackie was the other way around. He excelled. He went on to uh, a higher level. And after a while, other teams in the league realized, and I remember Leo DeRocher uh, telling his club to, to quiet down. Don't wake up the sleeping dog because uh, once uh, he was angry, uh, he would just take the game into his own hands and, and change it. And I think uh, that, to me, is the number one uh, feeling I've always had about Jackie, this uh, amazing ability uh, to play the game while burning with rage over whatever and not letting on except uh, with his actual baseball skills. And what kind of a base runner was he? We've been discussing a lot of things. and Daring, constantly on the move. Uh, he was... I don't think Jack ever experienced any self-doubt. I don't believe he ever worried about being thrown out. Uh, I remember Maury Wills, for instance, uh, a marvelous uh, base runner for the Dodgers who broke Ty Cobb's record. And uh, Maury Wills would not try to steal home. And I remember asking him, was he afraid uh, of being injured or being hit by the batter? And he said no. He said, I just have an overwhelming fear of failure in trying to steal home. Well, Jackie never had any feeling of failure, and it was exhibited uh, the way he ran the bases. He literally and figuratively ran the bases uh, with reckless abandon. And in terms of his, his being a, a natural competitor, I was informed that during the Bobby Thompson home run in 1951, of course, the shot heard, heard around the world. I'm sure you were doing that game for the Dodgers at that time. and No, I was not. Uh, the two veteran broadcasters 
were doing the game, and rightly so, and that would be Red Barber and Connie Desmond. I just stood in the booth, actually bent over a little bit in the old polo grounds, uh, <laughs> and, and watched and listened. But, no, I had nothing to do with the game. But when you saw, I'm, I'm sure you've been informed of this and you know about this, the way Jackie stood at second base and made sure that Bobby Thompson touched each base with his oh, foot yes. running yep. around the bases. Uh, mm, that, that would be typical while... Uh, you know, it's the old story, if you can keep your head when all those about you are losing theirs, well, Jackie could do that. He could keep his head. I was uh, I was more concerned from a personal note. Uh, I Instead of looking at Jack, I was looking uh, a great deal at um, then Ann Mulvey, who went on to marry Ralph Branca, and also Terry O'Malley. The, uh, for some reason, my heart went out to them more than anybody else, and I was looking down at them. So what is your individual fondest and most vivid memory of, of Mr. Robinson? Well, I guess that ice skating incident would sum it up. Uh, we were friends or acquaintances. We, we were not close friends by any means. I was not close uh, with any of those players. You have to understand, I was a kid born and raised in New York from the streets of New York, and all of a sudden uh, I'm traveling, eating, broadcasting, with uh, Gil Hodges, Duke Snyder, Jackie Robinson, Carl Farillo, Roy Campanella, Don Newcomb, uh, you name it. Um, so I was uh, overwhelmed and pretty much kept to myself. But I always remember Jack as being thoughtful, a great smile, uh, very warm, and, and uh, could not be any nicer to me, the kid in the clubhouse. And then I marveled at his overall uh, competitive friars uh, when he was actually involved in a game. What was it about him that made him endure all the hardships of, of being nothing more than just a black man who loved the game of baseball and having well, to suffer for that? Well, he was being as intelligent and sensitive as he was. He was aware of the role that he had been given in life. As I understand the conversation uh, between Jackie and Brand Rickey, and I was certainly not privy to that, but in that conversation, after uh, Brand Rickey told him that uh, he was going to be the victim of all kinds of uh, racial remarks, etc. And he said, I don't, I don't want, I want you to take it. And Jackie said, you mean to tell me you don't want me to have the courage to fight back? And Branch Rickey said in so many words, no, no, I want you to have the courage not to fight back. And that perhaps was the toughest role of all, and he filled it uh, perfectly. Well, there you go. Thanks to Mike Maffey, former member of the station, for conducting that interview, again, from our Jackie Robinson special that originally aired back on April 12th, 1997. That ice skating story is such a, it's such a really cool it. story. I love it. And that shows you all you need to know about Jackie, the fact that he was just so competitive with someone that he really wasn't that close with, and, but yeah. he, he was not, didn't really have any interest in losing that race to Vin. Yeah, and he was, I, I think Vin said it was his first or second year yeah. in the booth for the Dodgers. Jackie was coming off a season where he hit three twenty eight. Uh, made the all-star team, mm -hmm. and imagine Jackie had gotten hurt in oh that situation. Could you imagine how yeah. the Dodgers would have felt? Imagine, if he imagine the change in the career of Vin Scully, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> he probably, probably would have fired him on the spot yeah, for, for exactly. racing him like that. Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a great, a great, a great way to put it. And you may have recalled this story gained a lot of traction back in the winter of 2013 when Yahoo Sports picked it up. They, uh, Vin was talking about it on a broadcast. During the season, but Yahoo Sports wrote an article about it back in December of 2013. And not to brag, we had that story about you know yeah. 15 years <laughs> earlier than them. But you know it's okay. We're not gonna we're not gonna brag too much. Yahoo Sports. We 
we we at WFUV are very humble when when sure. when when we get the story first. We'll I'll I'll say that. But yeah, yeah. It's such a it's such a cool story. It really is really is great to hear the great voice of Vin talking about Jackie. And I love how he mentioned how he would thrive off of getting mad and play with a chip on his yeah. shoulder. And there was a notable scene from the movie Forty Two when mm-hmm. Ben Chapman was yelling the Phillies, uh, Philadelphia Phillies manager was yelling at at Jackie uh, from the dugout, racial slurs and whatnot, and. Jackie just kept his mouth shut, focused on the pitch, got a base hit, and ended up scoring and just looked Ben Chapman right in the eyes. And that's the way it's done. Yeah. That's uh, how you do it. And again, the number seven one eight eight one seven two seven five two. if you want to come on and talk with us. That's a great That's a great point, like using that as a chip on his shoulder. I have not seen the movie 42. Really? Believe it or not. Yeah, I do. Out. I definitely need to watch that at some point. I heard it's fantastic. The baseball thing. abilities in the movie are not quite up really? to par yeah, as what you would expect. But, yeah. but the story is told magnificently, and I think it kind of shows that I don't think anyone else could have done this aside from Jackie Robinson breaking yeah. the color barrier. No, absolutely, because it, it, it took so much strength on the field and off of it. And Branch Rickey, that, that's a real famous quote from Branch Rickey, like, I want you to have the strength like not to fight back. Yeah. I mean, that's, it took a lot, of, took a lot everybody, it took a lot to, to not do that when everybody, it seems like everybody's against you. Yeah, and he fought back with his game. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best way to and fight back. And he was back. A, you know, a gritty player, uh, played with a chip on his shoulder, like I said, um, my favorite player now is Dustin Pedroia, and I feel like Jackie Robinson probably played a lot like that. Yeah, and with I mean, second, even, I mean second baseman exactly, yeah. and with me, maybe even an intensified sense of uh, not I don't know anger, just like a bigger chip on his shoulder, just because he had such a reason to. Um, yeah, you know, especially at the time, and um, unbelievable that he was able to because a lot of times when you face any type of adversity. You just kind of want to push it away, and you kind of hide in your shell a little mm-hmm. bit. And amazing that Jackie could break out. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. You know, push through and find the ability to, um, you know, succeed and at an incredibly high level. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I thought it was cool how Vin was talking about him on the base pass, and you always see those old footage that that old footage from the fifties where he's like scampering on the base pass. Like yeah. you see him, it's like from shot from a, the backstop, and you see him scampering. The camera's like struggling to keep up with him yeah. as he's like scampering on the base pass. It's just that just sums up all you need to know about Jackie. He was a menace for pitchers trying oh, to keep yeah. him. It was, it was, and I really wish been. he played in the majors in his earlier twenties. Because he started at 28 years old, and he yeah. was still batting 300 in yeah. his mid-30s. Yeah. So now we're seeing these guys, um, you know, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, they're 22, they're 20. 20. They're so young, yeah. and that's 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 when they're hitting their primes yeah. much, much earlier. I mean, Jackie, as you said, what year? What was his best year as a Dodger? I mean, you have his stats up right yeah. now. Uh, 1949, he hit 342 with 37 stolen bases, won the wow. MVP that year. Wow. Um, yeah, there you go. So, And he was 30 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, that's by no means old, but... You're a vet by then. No, yeah, absolutely. Oh. I mean, that was only his second season. No, you're right. It yeah. would have been great to see him in uh, in Dodger in Dodger colors a lot earlier than he actually was. Yeah, um, played till 37. I mean, he he started to deteriorate in the end of career as anyone really would. No, but, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, or quite, t- as Tom Brady seems not to be doing, yeah, hitting th- oh, pushing 40 and still having the best seasons of his life. That's black magic. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's just ridiculous yeah. that he's uh, that he's doing what he's doing at that. At that that age, but back to Jackie Robinson. You said the story happened in 1952. Did that ice skating story happen? Fifty winner of fifty one. Okay, so, winner yeah. of fifty one. Yeah. You said read his stats again from the past season, just so, just so everyone knows what yeah. we're working with here. Um, so it would have been the 1950 season. Um, so he hit 328, uh, 14 homers, 81 ribbies, uh, only 12 stolen bases that year. But he was an all star, and he was. Uh, 15th in the MVP voting. So you know, yeah. no doubt a superstar. At oh, that point. A- absolutely, <laughs> and he's. He, 
everything off the field that's that's one thing but he's uh, him on the field makes him a superstar and made I feel him like a superstar. it doesn't get talked about enough no just absolutely of of just by people forget was. just how good he was yeah. I mean he won the MVP in 49 exactly. and every it's sometimes people do forget because of all the incredible strides he made off the field but on the field he was a he was a beast is what he was an absolutely. absolute beast 130 here on the East Coast we're gonna send it to Tyler Friere for the second time this afternoon Great Jackie Robinson theme music this afternoon from our from our engineer Charlie Maisano. It's one thirty-two here in the Rose Hill Studios talking Jackie Robinson on a very special one-on-one episode, seventieth seventieth anniversary of him breaking the color barrier. And our 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 uh, our boss Bob Aaron's came on the on the microphone, not on the microphone, through our ear over that over that update, and he said Jackie Robinson, it's important to note that Jackie Robinson was a four-sport guy yeah. when he went to UCLA. He played football, he played basketball, and he ran track. Baseball was his number four sport at that time in his life. It's, cra- it's crazy to think about that. Yeah, and I remember reading something saying that he was a local tennis star in LA yeah. as well, so um, you know, quite the athlete and quite the competitor as well, as we just saw. Uh, with the Vince Scully story, it's kind of like a lost phase of his life that he people a lot of people forget that he went to UCLA and was so 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 successful there yeah. in just all facets in the classroom, on the field, and on all different kinds of fields that he, he was a a four sport athlete. And his older brother, older brother Mac Mac Robinson was second. He won the silver medal in the two hundred meters at the thirty six Berlin Olympics, and that race is very very notable for the fact that Jesse Owens won that race in his way to winning the hundred and two hundred double. Yeah. But yeah, it's such it's. It's really a lot of those things. I mean, Jackie Robinson is obviously everybody knows him for doing what he did, breaking the color barrier. But there's so many different aspects and facets to his life that just, I guess, don't really get talked about that much. Exactly. And a effortless, seamless transition here to the next segment. We've got a a story from Tanya Grossinger. This is from when she was a young girl, met Jackie Robinson, and they formed a bit of an unlikely friendship between the two. It's a very cool story. And here it is. We're going to set things up here as Rick will tell us about the Tanya Grossinger interview and uh, Jackie Robinson was, I guess, her friend and, and nothing more. I guess a pen pal and a buddy and things evolved and we'll hear the details of this, but you'll get to see Jackie the man. You're right. Well, this story is probably the lasting memory I'll have from this entire conference, this entire program, and all the, the studying and the research we've done for it. Tanya Grossinger was someone who had an, a different twist and a different insight into the person of Jackie Robinson. Just a warm, warm story. Tanya Grossinger, of course, a freelance writer and public relations consultant. So right now, I'll tell you, this is a story you don't want to miss. Tanya Grossinger telling her story of how she became friends with Jackie Robinson. You had a great perspective into the life of Jackie Robinson, the man, and it was in the op-ed page earlier this week. Could you give us the story of how you came to meet Jackie Robinson and build a relationship? Certainly. Uh, I grew up at a resort that uh, some of your readers, uh, some of your listeners, I'm sorry, may be, may be familiar with, called Grossinger's in the Catskill Mountains. And in the 1950s, it was, it was in its heyday. Every celebrity worth the, the name of the Mantle celebrity came to Grossinger's. And they also invited baseball and football and basketball stars to come up. As a kid growing up there, uh, I was perhaps a little bit blasé about the whole celebrity hood. The one person that 
I always wanted to meet was Jackie Robinson because, for, you know, for well, for the obvious reasons, he was a hero. When he came to Grossinger's, I was introduced to him along with other uh, children that I grew up with, and each of them were introduced according to what they were really very good at. My cousin Marianne was a terrific speed skater. Someone else was a terrific golf golf whiz. And they came to me, and it was sort of like, well, um, um, and this is uh, cousin uh, Tanya Grossinger. She's uh, good at ping pong. So he was greeting everybody, and he gets to me, and he said, uh, how would you like to meet me at 4 p.m.? We'll, we'll play a game. So I'm saying to myself, yeah, sure, right. Jackie Robinson's a grossinger, so he's got nothing better to do than to play a game of ping pong with a chubby uh, 13-year-old poor cousin of a kid. (laughs) Okay. So I paid no attention to it. I went back to my room. Uh, 4.05, the phone rings. Hi, this is Jackie Robinson. Didn't we have a date? Well, I never dressed and ran so fast in my life. I went to the ping pong room. Not only had he showed up, obviously, he let me beat him. I knew he let me beat him, but I was going, I beat Jackie Robinson at ping pong. Wow. But what was important wasn't so much, you know, the game of ping pong. It was after the game, and we had a soda, and he put his arm around me, and he said, did you really think I was not going to show up? And I just sort of, you know, looked down at my feet, and he said, aren't you a bit young to be so cynical? So I shuffled around a little bit more, and he said, I think we should be friends. Why don't we start to write to each other? Just like that, out of the blue. And we did. That is amazing. And, and the relationship continued, really, un, 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 until his death. One uh, particular story that stayed with me all my life, I repeated in the op-ed piece of the uh, news this past week. Uh, I went to Brandeis University, and unfortunately, one year that I was there, there was a fire at a staff cottage at Grossinger's, and a number of people with whom I had been very close died. Two days after the fire, I get this long, handwritten letter saying, Dear Tanya, and it was from Jackie. He, he was in the middle of spring training at Vero Beach, Florida. And he was talking to me about the tragedy. And then he went on to say something about, You must never lose your faith in God. Sometimes when it comes close, um, uh, it's hard not to, but we must always retain that. And for my sake, please do it for me. Wow. Love, Jackie. There's a P.S. to that story, which I did not write about. A number of years later, Jackie lost his son, Jackie Jr., to drugs. I, I, was, I was very close to all the family, not just Jackie, and this devastated me, and I wasn't quite sure how to put my, my, my feelings into, into print. And then I had this idea. I wrote him a letter, and I said, a number of years ago, when I was going through a terrible time, a very beloved friend wrote a letter to me. And I, in turn, requoted to him his letter to me about never losing faith in God. Wow. And he told me, after the fact, how, how much that meant to him. Not only the word, but that I had kept the letter all those years. Do you still have it? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to me, besides the fact that he was just a phenomenal baseball player, I mean, this is the kind of character that, is is amazing in itself, just as a person. Well, this, I mean, this this is why I treasure the relationship so much. I might add, I never saw him play baseball. Really? I really never did. Wow. How how come he was such a, a big hero to you then at that time? Well, because I followed baseball. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I say I grew up a grossing there were a lot of sports celebrities who came up all the time. And so I wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't know who the baseball players were, but it wasn't I could just take the subway and, and go to uh, Ebbets Field and see a game. That's true. No ESPN back in those days. No, no, that's right, no ESPN. But he was just, 
you know, all the tributes that are being paid him now, and they are certainly well-deserved, all relate to him as a baseball player. And there was such a man underneath that. Uh, I, I never asked him directly, but I was always curious about what was it about me that drew him to me and really motivated him to give so much of the love and time that he gave to me. And uh, when I grew up at Grossing, my family didn't own it. I was sort of, but I lived there and my mother worked there. I was sort of like an outsider. And one day he, uh, I, I'd been, I had been putting together notes for a book that I subsequently wrote alone called Growing Up at Grossing. But at the time I was considering collaborating. And when I mentioned this to him, he said, why don't you have the collaborator speak to me first? because I can give him information. I probably know you better than anyone in the family, which is actually true. And at one point he had said to me, you feel like an outsider, and I can identify with that. And I think that was the trick. But he said, you know, it, that's where inner strength comes in. He said that it wasn't baseball that made him who he was. It was the inner strength to do in baseball that made him who he was. Tanya, at the time, did you realize what kind of impact he would have in the years after he made his big break into baseball? Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, I really, I really must say I did. That's like saying this to somebody, if they've seen someone perform and he's a marvelous uh, singer or a comedian, you say, did you really know that he would grow up or he would continue to be famous? Yes, I did. Because I had seen so many celebrities at Grossman's, and to be candid, uh, when they were away from the spotlight, they weren't all necessarily nice people which didn't mean they weren't talented people, but they weren't nice people. Mm-hmm. Here was a man who I knew had the baseball talent, because everyone said, said he did, but I saw who Jackie Robinson the man was, and I knew that if you could be famous and so terrific by having just talent, if you have talent and that kindness of heart and spirit that he had, you've got, you certainly have it made. How important is that impact and that strength that Jackie had and showed to you back then? How important is that in your life still today? Extraordinarily so, because when I was a kid, I mean, every adolescent goes through certain almost automatic insecurities. And when I was really feeling that, uh, oh, down and maybe I'm not worth very much, I would walk around saying, if Jackie Robinson likes me, I can't be all that bad. That is amazing. And it meant a lot to me then, and it still does, because what that did, in effect, was to give me a confidence in myself that I could do certain things, that certain people saw things in me that obviously I was too young to see in myself. And so that gave me a foundation, and of course we build on our foundation. So, I mean, today I'm a confident, secure human being. But part of that comes from Jackie and other people giving me an inspiration to feel that way. We're speaking with Tanya Grossinger, who had a, a great friendship with Jackie Robinson. How would you describe him as Jackie Robinson the friend? Oh, I would just use those words. Jackie Robinson, a friend. Yeah, you can't give any more compliment no, than that, really. No, no, you really can't. I mean, uh, he was, uh, I think, what, what is the true meaning of the word friend? Someone who is there for you. Somebody who respects you. Somebody who feels comfortable giving advice. Someone whose advice one takes because one knows that it's being given in the best possible fashion. And a friend, someone I, I always knew that I could count on him. And there you go. That's another great story about Jackie Robinson, this time 
from Tanya Grossinger, nicely uh, interviewed there by a former member of the station. Matt Schultz was the one who had the interview on that one. But yeah, just another great story, really. Rick Schultz, excuse me. Thank you. Thank you to Francis for that. But yeah, another great story. Just shows you what Jackie Robinson was like, what what he was like as a man, who he was with with people. And it's a more personalized story as well. Yo, absolutely. Because like... You know, like the the saying, like, never meet your heroes because they'll let you down. Like, yeah. that kind of, like, disproves that a little bit. Because, like, you know, you see, like, I know for us, like, you know, when we go into, like, a pro locker room, like, you go, you know, you go to the Islanders yeah. locker room as yeah. an Islanders beat reporter, you see John Tavares. You're mm-hmm. like, what does John Tavares want to do with me? And then it's almost <laughs> like John Tavares becomes your your friend. And yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, you almost, it's almost a little bit surreal. It's funny you mention John Tavares because John Tavares is, I wouldn't say he's like Jackie, but he's very, very personable and very, yeah, very good, especially with, awesome. with everyone in the media. He's a great guy and he's a great ambassador for the club. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Yeah. I've got a lot of things to say about <laughs> him in our in our NHL segment. But uh, yeah, no, that's a great point. Never meet your heroes. But Jackie Robinson was the, was the exception to that rule without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just a great uh, personalized story and he's able to relate to people on so many levels. No. Yeah. I mean... You see, I mean, she still has those handwritten letters from yeah. Jackie. I mean, I'm sure those things would go for an incredible amount of money these yeah. days, especially 70, with this year being the 70th anniversary. You know she's never going to give those up. Those are those mean way more to her than any any sort of monetary value, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you mentioned how they're worth, they could be worth a lot of money. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, they, they would have to be. A couple months ago, Bob and I went to the Christie's Baseball Auction in Manhattan. Really? And... Um, there was Bob, some, why was I not invited to this? <laughs> where, where, why, why was I not invited? There was some some handwritten. There was a lease signed off. Oh, here by, here by, it comes to yell at me by by Shoeless <laughs> Joe Jackson, and I think it was going for like two hundred thousand dollars. Just his signature on like his apartment lease. No, I know. So like yeah, two hundred thousand dollars. No, like, yeah. There was Jackie Robinson stuff there too, worth a lot of money as well. But one day, I feel like the Jackie Robinson uh, handwritten letters could be worth just as much as the, the Joe Jackson stuff. Bob just told me those letters are probably gonna end up at the Jackie Robinson Museum that they're building. Not exactly sure where in Lower Manhattan. Thank you, Bob. But yeah, they're building a Jackie Robinson Museum in Lower Manhattan, which I I just learned about that yeah, now. Me too. <laughs> no, but it's a great that's a great museum to have and something that of course. All of us here at the station would absolutely love to go yeah. to. That's, that's that'll be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. What we're gonna do now is gonna play the outro to that episode on April twelfth, nineteen ninety seven. That kind of wraps everything up. I believe it has another clip from Vin in there. I might be mistaken, but we'll play that now, and then we'll wrap up this wonderful first hour of one on one and our and our Jackie Robinson discussion. Near the end of his life, very near the end of his life, he was blind. And he was standing out on the field in the first game of the World Series between the Cincinnati Reds and the Oakland A's. My friend Tom Callahan, a great sports writer, watched him and told me this story. He was just standing out there before the game began, and all the players on both teams kind of wanted to touch him, sort of move around and just and touch him. But Joe Morgan, who was just tossing a ball back and forth behind him, seemed to pay no attention to Jackie. Then the announcement came that all people not in uniform had to leave the field, and everybody, including Jackie, started to go. And then Morgan went up to Jackie, but he, not, not to face him, went up sort of behind him and whispered, thank you. And Robinson said, you're welcome. He left the field. There was a sports writer named Jim Murray for the Los Angeles Times, great sports writer. And Murray went up to Robinson and said, uh, Jackie, it's Jim Murray. Robinson said, oh, Jim. Oh, Jim, I wish I could see you again. 
And Murray said, Jackie, I wish I could see you again. Who does not? There you go. That was a great ending to the to the uh, great show that we had about twenty years ago. Now it's crazy to think yeah. about twenty years ago. All those all those guys doing exactly exactly what we did here, but it's not downstairs. The studio used to be upstairs yeah. here in Keating Hall. But yeah, just a great way, great way, to, and a great story about a uh, Jim Jim Murray. I think yeah, his name was. We just learned about him in one of my classes. Great great sports mm-hmm. writer. One of the really. Basically, I don't know if you can say Rick Riley is a sports writer these days, but he was the real Rick Riley of the okay. past generation. He was he was a uh, a guy who didn't really have a background in sports, believe it or not. He was a uh, he was a writer for some. He was a uh, like a an entertainment writer when he first moved out okay. to California. And once Sports Illustrated came up, they moved him over to Sports Illustrated because the the Sports Illustrated was owned by a a conglomerate, and they moved him over to there, and he just took to it like a fish to water and he became one of the the most popular sports writers of all time. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about someone with a, not a background in sports can become so popular in yeah. it. No, absolutely. Um and I like how Joe's Joe Morgan as well in that interview and I mentioned earlier how how Jackie paved the way for um all the African American baseball players and athletes and um it's a shame that we're seeing a dip in African American uh, you know numbers in in major league baseball yeah. but um you know, it could go up. I mean, we're seeing constant efforts to to bring baseball back to African Americans, and um, hopefully, we'll see those numbers come back up one day. And there was no Vince Scully in that piece, unfortunately. But that just shows—I just instantly thought of Vince Scully whenever anyone's talking about Jackie. I just automatically think of Vince Scully. It just shows you how intertwined those two are. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, really, really great pieces. Thanks to all the guys who worked on that. That was a really, really great job. Wish I was—I mean, I wish obviously I was like one year old at that time. Yeah. But I, re- I wish I was around to. Have worked on a on a show like that. They did a they did a great job, as you can tell from just those couple sig to couple tidbits. Excuse me. We only aired a two or three of their segments. They did a whole show with Jackie Robinson, and that was it was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, the first one I think it aired on what April twelfth, April twelfth, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, yep. so that's three days prior to Jackie Robinson Day. Yeah, which, is, which, which they is, turned April fifteenth. Yeah. yeah, which they've turned into um, a Jackie Robinson Day all over the league yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, and I remember I had my junior year of high school. I had a pair of Nike Swingman cleats, which is Ken Griffey Jr.'s line. They were gray and camo. They were sick, and they had they were the Jackie Robinson edition. So they had Jackie Robinson forty two. 4, 15, 13, they were awesome. And I just yeah. felt like I felt so much faster. I felt so much more athletic <laughs> with those on my feet, and I looked awesome. <laughs> oh, David David Spampanato, always, uh, no matter may, how good he plays on the field, he always looks good while he's doing it, just putting that out there. That opening day was April 15th back in 1997, so Jackie Robinson Day was opening day that yeah. year. It just shows you how different opening day being like a, a, earlier in April this year. All those shoes are sick, They're dude. Sick. Those are nice. <laughs> Show me a picture of it. All right, 150 here in the East. We'll give it to Tyler. Free air.